Pastor Xavier Reese says, life isn't about situational ethics, but the divine plan of the Creator. In His providence, God knows how much joy and sorrow, how much pleasure and pain, how much prosperity and poverty is proper for His child. He knows the correct balance of sunshine and storm, the precise mixture of darkness and light it takes to perfect a son or a daughter. Now, are your lives in God's hands? They are, and He's in control. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. King Solomon reported his findings of his search for satisfaction and the meaning of life in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. And, in a word, he summed up all of life pursuits as vanity when lived apart from God. And as certain as King Solomon was about life's emptiness, it's the uncertainty of our grasp of God's purposes that Pastor Xavier seeks to get a hold of as we begin today's Simple Truth Study. Let's listen. The message is entitled, Life in View of Death. Death is something that man is very aware of and is constantly attempting to delay it or escape it altogether. It goes way back to the fountain of youth. <laughs> okay, nothing new under the sun, right? That's one of the key phrases in Ecclesiastes. Uh, death has been with us, and death has been very much a, uh, a negative thing towards man as he lives. Um, death is one of the main themes that the preacher is constantly bringing out throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. You can't miss it. It is the very backdrop theme of the entire book. Solomon is very aware that this one thing, death, happens to all of mankind, non-believer and believer alike. And as you go through the book, just some is chapter 2, verse 16, chapter 3, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 19, chapter 7, verse 1, and here we have it again. Those are just few. They're not exhaustive, but it's, it's constantly there. Too many people understand Solomon to be contradicting himself when they read and study the book of Ecclesiastes. Like the observation that man is like a beast and they both die and go to the ground, right? But if you read it in its context, in chapter 3, verse 21, it says man's spirit goes upward and the beast goes downward. He makes a distinction. But people isolate scriptures and they come to wrong conclusions in the book of Ecclesiastes. Therefore, the counsel of Solomon throughout the book is that man should live and enjoy the fruits of his labor here and now as part of God's blessings, be he believer or non-believer. But at no time does Solomon ever tell us in the book of Ecclesiastes that man is to live for these things. So again, I think that many commentators and preachers and teachers have put words in the mouth of Solomon. You need to read the whole book and then interpret the part in relationship to the whole to get the proper background. That's important. Now remember that Solomon is giving to us the natural observation and conclusions of man living apart from God. As he sets his heart to see and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the sun 
in order to see if, in fact, all the things that man says bring satisfaction are true or not. And he gives you that in the prologue in chapter 1, verse 12 through 13. So this is his experiment one at a time through human wisdom. He's going to evaluate. And he's knocking one at a time saying, nope, 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 nope. Now we come here to chapter 9. Solomon points out the seeming contradictions, inconsistencies, as well as the uncertainties of life that puzzle the man who lives apart from God. Because they are perplexing to man. The natural man, well, well if there's a God, why is this? And, and I can't believe, you know, and, and they're frustrating to him, right? But notice he's making his process, his progress, his journey through the book, and he's moving towards the wisdom of living a life dependent on God. Solomon is already old. And having wasted his life, he has recognized that God alone brings true satisfaction in life. And he is leading us up to the very conclusion that life in view of death should be lived in the fear of God and we are to keep his commandments due to the fact that he will bring every work into judgment. Chapter 12, verse 13. So he, it's a process he's working through. So that men that read the book of Ecclesiastes, they can check off all they believe to be and they come up with the answer at the end. Very important. Now, Solomon gives to us three important truths regarding life and death in chapter 9, verse 1 through 10. Let me read you the passage, and I'll give you the three truths. For I considered all this in my heart, so that I could declare it all, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hands of God. People know neither love nor hatred by anything that is before them. Everything occurs alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good, the clean, and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner. And he who takes an oath as he who fears an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all, meaning death. Truly, the heart of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. But for him who is joined to all living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living knows that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Moreover, nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun." Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with merry heart, for God has already accepted your works. Let your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life which he has given you under the sun, all your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life and in the labor which you perform under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Solomon gives to us three important truths regarding life and death. This is the subject of this section. First, the proclamation about the life of the righteous as given to us in verse 1. Secondly, the observation of life and death in verse 2 through 6. 
And then we have the exhortation for life in view of death in verse 7 through 10. Let's look at the first, the proclamation about the life of the righteous in verse 1. Notice first, Solomon was convinced in his heart that man cannot find out the ways God works. The beginning of verse 1. This is a repeated theme as you have seen. That God is sovereign. We can't understand his ways. The reference is to the last two verses of the previous chapter. Because verse 16 and 17 deal with the aspect of God being beyond man. In verse 16, sleepless nights of study will not discover the mind or the ways of God, he says. How many have attempted to no avail? You can't do it. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. And my thoughts than your thoughts, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. God is so distinct. Just when you think you haven't figured out, he throws your curb. He's in control. He does as he wills. No one can say to him, what are you doing? Notice in verse 17 of the previous chapter, labor and wisdom is not sufficient either. Try as you may. In attempt to discover the works of God. Paul the Apostle put it this way in Romans 11, 33 through 36. Oh, the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his ways or his judgment and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has first given to him? And it shall be repaid him. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. The way God works things out as you move through life and you look at it and you go, man, he's too much. <laughs> now, we don't like it too much when he's doing it. But we like the result. We don't like the process, but we like the result. Notice the place where Solomon settled this was his heart. The place of intellect, emotion, the will. The word considered means to put or deposit. The heart of man is the very essence of the whole person, the inner man, if you will. The heart of man, God wants to deal with your heart and mind. That's where he wants me to understand who he is in as far as I can, what his will is. Too many people try to figure out God with their brain. It's impossible. God is beyond our minds, yet he does not exclude our mind. He uses our mind. Notice, secondly, still in verse 1, that Solomon was convinced in his heart that the righteous and the wise, as well as their works, were in the hand of God. So the negative thing is that we can't understand the ways of God. But the positive thing is, in, in the context of the righteous, right? And the wise, the believer is that we know that whatever goes on, whatever work, God's hand's upon it. They're in God's hand. This is the positive side. What confidence, what rest, what trust, what assurance. Solomon is very aware of God and who he is throughout the book. He declares that he saw the work of God in chapter 8, verse 17. He declared that God controls the life of the righteous and the wise right here. He mentions God 42 times in the book. Now, many people say many things that Solomon doesn't say in Ecclesiastes. <laughs> 42 times he mentions God. I don't think he's writing as an atheist. He's writing as an old Christian who is teaching the young as well as the old how he wasted his life. And he's taking them through this journey in a process step by step to the conclusion 
And he's looking at life through the observation of the man who's living apart from God and how he observes things, how he concludes things. And he, along the way, gives a little advice about life and enjoyment of life. He will finish the book by pointing man to God. Chapter 12, verse 1 and 13. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. This is the final matter of the whole uh, thing we're dealing with here is fear God and keep his commandments. He ends with that. Solomon is confident that the believer is under divine direction here. The works are the work of God that go on. The control over them is in, indicated by the phrase, in the hand of God. Now, there's nothing more secure than being in the hands of God. You know as a father that if your child uh, is going to cross the street and, 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 and he grabs a hold of your hand, you grab his hand, he feels safe. Or when they reach up in their hands to you and you pick them, they, you pick them up and they put their head to your bosom and they feel secure, they're in your arms. Now, I don't always understand what God is doing, but I know God is doing something for my good. I know that my life is in His hands. The key is if I'm walking with God. Am I fellowshipping with God? Am I in the light? Am I being a doer? There's the key. If I'm not, then God's not responsible for my life, is He? Then I've taken my own life in my own hands. And I can't blame God for the things that come in my life because of my stupidity. And because of my carnality. So the assurance here brings great hope and comfort. That everything is in God's hands. Now notice thirdly here, still in verse 1, that Solomon was convinced in his heart that people cannot judge the love or hate of God by the events of life. This is good. He's talking to the Christian. Verse 1 is the Christian. The righteous, okay? Don't miss that. The phrase, by anything said before them, means whatever they may experience in life. The experience in life is that bad things do happen to righteous people, yet it does not mean that God hates them. God allowed Job to suffer the loss of everything as well as his health. Yet God loved Job and boasted to Satan and said that he was loved of God. He was a servant. There was none like him, blameless, upright, feared God, and hated or shunned evil, Job 1.8. Yet the friends of Job, miserable comforters, physicians of no value, they were convinced that Job was wicked and God was punishing him through his sufferings. There are times that will take place in your life when people will be convinced that God is punishing you because they are judging God's love by what's going on in your life. They're wrong. What matters is that you know that you're right with God and that you are committing yourself to the Lord and your sufferings. The positive confession movement of the church today declares that if you're sick, you don't have faith, or if you do have faith, you have sin. And so categorically, if they pray over you and you don't get healed, then of course, it's not their fault because they're more spiritual than you, right? So the problem's got to be you. Uh, same kind of thing. Nothing changes sometimes, right? Some things always remain consistent with some people. The truth of the matter is that some of the saintliest people and godliest people in the world and in the age of the church, have been the sickliest. It takes real faith to be a sickly person 
and love and trust and walk with God. Any wimp can be healthy and love God. <laughs> That's easy. The experience in life also is that good things do happen to bad people, and it does not mean that God is blessing them out of his love. We already saw in chapter 7, verse um, 15, it says, I have seen all this, all things in my days of vanity. There is a just man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. God allows the wicked and unbeliever to receive the benefit of their efforts and labor, even when they are dishonest. There are natural laws that go on, and God does not interrupt them. It does not mean that he condones their activity. It does not mean he loves their activity. It means that God is patient, sovereign, and is in no hurry to judge. No one will get away from judgment. God's in no hurry. The world that we see around us today is not what God intended. The world that we see around us today is the evidence of man's continued rebellion against God. It, it started at the fall. And so you have fallen man, and you have him perpetuating this type of lifestyle. And so we live like animals just about, and then we want to hang God for it. Well, why didn't God do that? Well, God, I've always got... It's comical sometimes when you listen to some of these things, you know, for man. This is a great problem to the man who lives apart from God as well as the nat or, or the carnal Christian who is self-will. You see, if you're a Christian, but if you don't know the Word of God, then you don't know the mind of God. And so the things that bother the non-believer will also bother you because you can't explain them. Oh, why would God let me marry this woman? Why would God do this? And You know, well, if you knew the Word of God, you'd know. First of all, probably that you're the problem, not the other person. And secondly, it's more a blessing, and you're the cursing. Um, you need to know the Word. But you've got to know the Word of God. And know that God never gives you anything that's bad, but only what's good. The believer can always and must always measure God's love for him or her by having their eyes on the cross. If you as a Christian measure God's love for you by what happens to your life, what comes into your life, then you're going to become a very, very distraught and bitter person against God. The only time and the only way you can know God's love is for you to look to the cross. And when you see his arms stretched out and his hands pierced with nails, you will know he loves you. And you'll know how much he loves you. When you see his back torn, you will know he loves you. When you see him endure all that he endured and the words, it is finished, you will know that he loves you. You see, the cross is the constant stabilizer for the believer. Not situations, not circumstances, not blessings, not emotions. My stabilizing force is the cross of Jesus Christ. I look to the cross and I know he loves me. He died for me. Today we are being taught to live a theology of emotions, a feeling theology. And we will allow psychology to creep in, situational ethics and everything else. 
You live by the word of God, by the facts, by the objective truth of God's word. One person put it this way. In his providence, God knows how much joy and sorrow, how much pleasure and pain, how much prosperity and poverty is proper for his child. He knows the correct balance of sunshine and storm, the precise mixture of darkness and light it takes to perfect a son or a daughter. He doesn't make mistakes. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've gone through some dark times. You've gone through some difficult times. And you kicked and you yelled and you threatened and you scratched and you did everything. Now you're through and you say, oh, thank you, Jesus. You're so good. Because it did more for you than anything else ever did in your life. Kind of like our kids, huh? You discipline, I hate you, Dad. You know. Remember, the Bible says if you're faithful with your children, they'll rise up and call you blessed one of these days. But remember what I told you, between now and then, they'll call you many other things. <laughs> so by faith, we believe they're going to call us blessed, okay? But we're consistent. The Lord tells us that we don't even have any idea what God has for us. We would blow our minds. And 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. If you knew what God had in store for you, some of you, you would die. He has so much. The thing is, will you walk in those things? Will you yield to them? I believe that when we get to heaven, we're going to have a lot of things that we're going to see we missed because of our carnality, because of our self-will. Good things. The Lord tells us through Paul that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that were prepared beforehand in Ephesians 2.10. The word workmanship or handiwork means we get our root word poem from it. So you are God's poem to the world that you might walk in these works that God may manifest his glory and communicate salvation to the world. Are you communicating that? That's important. The Lord promises that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8.28. I don't always understand them, but I, I know that God's in control, right? And I know that he has an expected end for me, but I don't understand it. So I have to rest in him. I have to trust him. I have to depend on the spirit of God, and I have to crucify my flesh. And all things will work for good. The Lord, through Peter, tells us that we are to commit ourselves to him and our faithful, as a faithful creator in our sufferings, 1 Peter 4.19. So the implication, I mean, if you don't think Christians are going to suffer, you better read 1 Peter. It's all about sufferings. Fiery trials. Don't think it's strange. If some preacher has promised you that all your problems are going to be solved, you're going to have pie in the sky, and, and you're just going to be prosperous and be the best businessman and everything else, they preached a, a false gospel. I can guarantee you that if you come to Christ, your, your life is going to be turned right side up, and you're going to have... Many difficulties, much more than the world. Different from the world, but much more. <laughs> because you are weird if you walk with Christ. You are crazy if you turn down the permissive society of today, they think. You will be opposed. We live in a day when they say evil is good and good is evil. The proclamation about the life of the righteous is that they are in God's hands. Now, are your lives in God's hands? Or do you just say they are? If they are, then He's in control. Pastor Xavier Reese. 
reminding us that if life seems to be getting out of hand, maybe it's time you hand it all over to God. And we've been listening to another provocative message in our series of Ecclesiastes titled, Life in View of Death. And there's much more to come next time, but if you'd like to receive a copy for more in-depth personal study in the meantime, we can provide that on CD. We just ask that you send along $4 to help cover the costs. The title once again is Life in View of Death. You can request yours by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station however you get in touch. This is helpful information as we monitor the impact of our radio ministry. The world says, go for the gusto, but Scripture commands it. Join Pastor Xavier Reese for more Simple Truths next time. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com